Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? We are building up a new world. Sometimes I forget. Do you? I think Dr. Vincent Harding knew what he was doing when he made sure we had this song. This version of his song is a live recording of a group called No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians here in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We're deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, back with you today. I'm a UCC pastor in the place currently called Denver, Colorado, here on Cheyenne and Arapaho land, and the faith coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, nationally. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white people. White people talking to other white people about race and white supremacy. We believe white people like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We'd love to hear from you, and especially from folks of color, about how we're doing. The word is resistance. Y'all, it's hot. I was sitting in a coffee shop working on this for a while because our, our house is too hot to concentrate. It's not my favorite thing to do, but at least there's air conditioning. And y'all, it's so hot. And I mean not just I can't stop sweating, but that the world seems to be on fire, with atrocities coming at us hard and fast every day, every minute, it feels like, and the calls to show up, to stretch, to rise up and resist feel more urgent than ever. It's so hot. Yesterday, in between seeing my spiritual director in a staff meeting, I stopped and harvested some linden. All over Denver, linden trees are in full, luscious bloom right now, dripping heavy with flowers, a bounty of goodness for our nervous system. I nibbled on the flowers as I harvested. This is the first time I've met linden fresh, the first time I have noticed her spectacular abundance around the city, so I wanted to taste her, fresh on my tongue. She is so sweet and soft soft as in soothing, as in ease, and just in that experience I recognized her medicine to give us ease, to slow down the racingness of our heart and of our mind, a soothing sweetness for resilience. As I have told you before, my teacher says the medicine you need is the medicine right outside your door. There's a reason Lyndon is showing up in abundance right now. She knows. She knows what we need.
fascinated by the reading from Mark's Gospel this week. I'm going to summarize it for us here in a minute, but first I want to say that as I'm working on this yesterday and today is July 3rd and July 4th, the celebration of quote-unquote independence in what is currently called the United States. Honestly, it's challenging to think about celebrating independence when this country locks up more people, especially people of color, than any other country in the world. And that includes children in cages, asylum seekers in cages, migrants who have the right to migrate being locked up so that some company owners can make a buck off their suffering. We enter into this holiday in the midst of many days of actions which have seen thousands upon thousands of people demanding ICE be abolished. All across this continent, people are marching, protesting. People are shutting down ICE offices, federal buildings, detention centers, and making the connections between the caging and separation of brown and black folks now and throughout this country's history. What exactly are we celebrating as a country? Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great strong land of love where never kings connive or tyrants scheme that any man be crushed by one above. It never was America to me. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet. Those are the words of Langston Hughes from his poem, Let America Be America Again. I always share this poem on the 4th of July as a reminder that whatever myth we're selling about the American dream and independence has not been true for everyone on this continent. Just looking at the separation of families, for example, indigenous, black, and Japanese American people are reminding us right now that this is not a new tactic. The American Imperial Project has always used this tactic as part of its arsenal to enforce white supremacy and capitalism. Selling enslaved children away from their families, stealing indigenous children away to boarding schools for forced assimilation, interning Japanese American children at different camps from their parents. America never was America to me, wrote Langston Hughes. Dr. Harding loved to quote this poem, The Land That Never Has Been Yet, calling us to keep going deeper into healing our history by recognizing this country for what it is, a violent empire. And as Dr. Harding says, it is easy for us to forget that you cannot be an empire and a compassionate community at the same moment. You have to make a choice. We are now in a time when we must choose It takes courage and wisdom and insight to ask ourselves, who do we want to be? Who do we want to be? What if that's the question Jesus is trying to answer with his life? Pick up the story in Mark's Gospel when Jesus has come back to his hometown. Mark's Gospel moves swiftly. 
No birth story at all, just an opening quote from Isaiah. Then, boom, here's John the Baptist preaching and baptizing. Jesus gets baptized, goes off to the wilderness. John is arrested, and Jesus starts his work. All in the space of 15 verses. Just for comparison, in Matthew, all that takes four chapters, and just over three in Luke. Mark moves fast as Jesus teaches and heals all around these small villages around the Sea of Galilee. It seems like every other story, he is getting back in the boat and going to the other side of the sea, teaching and healing anyone who shows up, no questions asked. He has been building his team and training them, teaching them, living out what he believes for them to watch and emulate, teaching and healing back and forth across the sea. I wonder if he thought going home might give him a minute to rest. According to Mark, he had gone home before, and it hadn't gone particularly well, but here he is again. Maybe he thought this time it would be okay. Maybe he thought he would give them another chance. Maybe he goes home hoping. This time, maybe, this time, maybe they'll see me. Maybe they'll understand me. But they don't. He goes to the synagogue to teach like he's been doing back and forth across the sea, and they belittle him and dismiss him, this carpenter, this working-class small-town guy. Who does he think he is? What really fascinates me here is that it says Jesus could do no deed of power while he was there. In the NRSV, it's deed of power. He was only able to cure a few sick people, but the healings, the casting out of demons, the demonstrations of a different kind of power... He can't do it. He was amazed at their unbelief, it says. Their lack of belief in him impacts his ability to embody the fullness of who he is. I don't think this means, by the way, some kind of intellectual assent to some doctrine about him, because that's not what he's been about. He's been teaching about God's community, healing people of demons that kept people from full presence in the community, healing people of physical illness, full of such power that the woman with a 12-year hemorrhage only had to touch his cloak to be healed. People were flocking to him from all over everywhere to learn and listen and find healing. And he goes home, and the people there don't see what he is capable of. And suddenly he loses his power. He can't do or be what he has been doing and being. And because it's Mark, we don't linger there. Jesus just leaves and goes somewhere else and almost immediately calls his team of disciples together and starts to send them out two by two to do the work he has been training them to do. And he gives them instructions not to carry much, which is to say they must rely on the hospitality of the community. And then he says, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. I want to draw this connection between Jesus being unable to draw on his power in an unwelcome space and then his telling his disciples to shake the dust off their feet 
when they are unwelcome. Jesus has learned something. He went home once and was unwelcome. He goes home again, a second chance for them, if you will, and is unwelcome again. And now he's unable to be fully himself. So he shakes the dust off his feet and tells his team to do the same when they encounter unwelcome. Hmm. I'm thinking about how many times in my life I've kept going back to those same unwelcome places, those places that sap my sense of self-worth, that sap my sense of my being able to be myself, that sap the power of my leadership. I remember, for example, when I was Presbyterian, the denomination I was raised in and worked for, how I spent so much time and energy trying to convince people that being a lesbian, being queer, was not condemned by God, how I hid myself in some spaces, how I thought for a time it was better to fight and keep fighting for LGBTQ ordination, going back into those unwelcome spaces, rather than just follow the fullness of my call into ordination. I ended up clinically depressed, sapped of power. And yet Jesus tells his crew not even to give the unwelcoming folks a second chance. Show up and try. If you're unwelcome, move on. Shake off the dust. I think this is a really challenging text for how we think about Jesus, especially as white folks. We want Jesus to be loving and nice and do I dare say civil. Shake off the dust as a testimony against them. Sounds not only like don't give them another chance, but also like a public ritual naming of the unwelcome. Is that nice? Is that civil? Doesn't Jesus want everyone to be forgiven to have another chance? In Surge, we talk about the value of calling in, of doing our best to stay in relationship with white folks who might be making a mistake, to learn alongside together as we all fight this thing called white supremacy, to not shame and guilt folks, but to lean into our common humanness. I confess I'm a little challenged to see how Jesus is doing that by up and leaving and telling his crew to do the same. Shake off the dust. I wonder if that's why he built a team to begin with. The first thing Jesus does after John is arrested is start organizing. He starts building his base, training up leaders, and it becomes clear that he is training them to do the same work he is. That's what they're doing at the end of today's text, preaching repentance, teaching about God's community, healing demons and illness. Maybe he builds a team in part so that the work can spread and be broader. And maybe it's because one of them might be welcome where he is not. If I'm not welcome here, maybe someone else will be. Shake off the dust, keep moving, someone else can try. Of what use is it to stay in a place that saps our power anyway? Shake off the dust. In my work here, With Denver Surge, I co-lead a crew of white folks trained to provide marshalling security for actions led by organizers of color. My co-leader is a good friend, and we have learned that in the middle of an action, I am not the one to turn to to try to call in white folks when they're not following the lead of the organizers of color. 
She is great at it. And I am not. I'm shaking off the dust before the, the person has even finished talking, annoyed that I'm being distracted from keeping vigilance over the action. But I am great at one-on-ones, sitting down over coffee and having a long chat about the work of dismantling white supremacy. And one-on-ones are about her least favorite thing. We need us both with all those sets of skills, and it's okay that we don't have all of them, that we both don't have all of them, right? But each of us brings something different to the work. It can't all rest on one person. Apparently, even Jesus knew that. We do want to give people another chance, and again and again, we want to think that's the loving thing to do. And I do think we have to be discerning about when to keep trying and when to shake off the dust. Jesus doesn't shy away from getting into discussions with people who challenge him, and he heals and, just after this story, feeds anyone who shows up. No questions asked. I have no doubt that if one of his hometown buddies showed up at the seaside asking for healing, Jesus would do it. And yet, we can also practice a grounded no. When we show up and offer our gifts, and the response is a lack of welcome that saps our power, saps our ability to fully embody who we are. It's time to shake off the dust and trust there's more at work than just our individual effort. It's okay. We haven't failed. Somebody else will try. I eventually left the Presbyterian Church when I was 30. I finally realized, for me, I could not stay in a place that was draining me of my power, that made me think I had to trade my sense of call, my sense of self, my fullest self, to fit into their idea of community. Lots of people made that same choice. And lots also stayed. And now the Presbyterians have gotten their act together somewhat over LGBTQ ordination. It didn't all depend on me. It doesn't serve the movement to stay in spaces that sap us of our power. It also doesn't serve the movement to think everything depends just on us. I think both of those things are lies that white supremacy teach us. The lie of having to give our power away for some misguided sense of unity or civility. The lie of individualism that it all depends on me, that I'm all alone. These are the lies that let the empire Keep building its empire. Shake off the dust. I want to come back to how I opened up with the words from Langston Hughes and from Dr. Harding. I want to think with you about the land that never has been yet, and Dr. Harding's observation that you cannot be an empire and a compassionate community at the same moment. You have to make a choice. We are now in a time when we must choose. It takes courage and wisdom and insight to ask ourselves, Who do we want to be? Who do we want to be? 
I want to think with you about Jesus, about how he tried to answer that question, about how all of his teaching and healing was a way of choosing compassionate community over empire, teaching the people to remember who they were, to remember whose they were, to remember where they came from and the resources that they had to survive and thrive in the midst of empire's oppression healing people of bad spirits and illness, anyone and everyone who showed up outside of the empire's economy of control about who gets to be healed and who doesn't. And the next thing we see Jesus do after this story is feed a gazillion people, anyone and everyone, outside of the empire's economy of control about who gets to be fed and who doesn't. Who do we want to be? Mark moves swiftly, and given that the gospel was written while Rome was crushing Galilee and Judea, culminating in the total destruction of Jerusalem and the enslavement of Jews, a tactic that would have resulted in the separation of families, let's be clear. We might not be wrong if we take that swiftness for a sense of urgency. The world of Jesus is on fire. Who do we want to be? Empire? or compassionate community. Jesus makes a choice and lives that answer with his life. And where that answer is not welcome, where that unwelcome drains him of who he is, he shakes off the dust and keeps moving. There is too much at stake. There is too much at stake. Do we hear the sense of urgency for our own time? We are now in a time when we must choose. Who do we want to be? The empire says hang a flag in your church to be patriotic is to be Christian. Shake off the dust. The empire says poverty is the fault of the poor. Shake off the dust. The empire says you can only have health care if you can afford it. Shake off the dust. The empire says, just leave history in the past. Shake off the dust. The empire says white comfort and white profit are more important than black and brown life. Shake off the dust. The empire says we can only be safe by relying on forces of state violence for protection. We can only be safe if we lock migrating families in cages. We can only be safe if we look at every black person with suspicion. Shake off the dust, shake off the dust, shake off the dust. This empire that holds the truths of white supremacy and capitalism to be self-evident is a space where compassionate community is unwelcome. This empire is a space that tries to sap us of our collective power by complaining that our protest is not civil, by trying to tell us that black activists are terrorists, by trying to convince us that we must rely on systems of state violence for safety, rather than knowing that we can care for one another, love one another, protect one another, heal one another. What Mark's gospel lesson here teaches us is that we are stronger together and that our movement is stronger when we shake off the dust of all that keeps us from being the fully compassionate community we know we can be. The white Western church and white people in general have given up too much of our power to heal and transform 
by going back over and over into spaces that are actually unwelcome in the name of unity and civility. Unity with what, really? Unity with the empire? We have to make a choice. That doesn't mean we can't bring hearts full of love into the work and treat everyone with dignity. It does mean we have to be clear about what we're choosing, about what we're building, together, not alone. Empire or compassionate community? Rome or Jesus? You can't pledge allegiance to both. Shake off the dust. Let's all get free. For your call to action, I have three things for you to do. First of all, find Langston Hughes' poem, Let America Be America Again. I've linked it in the transcript, but it's easy to find online. Read it out loud, more than once. Better yet, get some friends together and read it together. Talk to each other about it. What does it provoke in you? What does it teach you? What is your commitment to building towards that land that never has been yet. Second, read the full interview with Dr. Harding that the, the quote about empire and compassionate community comes from. It's from 2012, but just as relevant now. The link is in the transcript. Again, even better is to read it with some friends, talk to each other about it. Same questions. What does it provoke in you? What does it teach you? And what is your commitment to building, or as he says in the interview, midwifing that land that never has been yet? Finally, read Mijente's immigration policy platform. Mijente, along with many, many other immigrant-led groups, are calling for the abolishment of ICE. Not its reform, but fully abolishing it and the criminalization of immigrants. It's a powerful vision to, as they say, free our future. You can find it on their website and Facebook, and I'll link it in the transcript too. And yes, again, read it with friends and ask yourselves those same questions. May these resources serve towards strengthening our ability to shake off the dust of white supremacy and capitalism and build towards a compassionate community where all are held with dignity and full humanity. Thanks as always for joining me today. Let us know how your actions go. We'd love to hear from all of you by com commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. We'll be back next week with Will Green. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. And transcripts are available as well on our website, which includes references, credits, and copyright information. Finally, big thanks again and always to our sound editor this week, Max Pearl. 
As always, blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice, and in all that you do to shake off the dust of the empire and build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thank you so much.